So as long as it's fair, as long as it's voluntary, inequality is fine. Inequality is great. We want those who succeed to be more rewarded than those who destroy value. But in the sense of our current environment, we have really sinister inequality. If everybody, you know, if, if the water's flowing and everyone is benefiting, right? Everyone's cup is filled. Um, people are happy, right? They have better things to do than to line up outside of someone's house and threaten to chop their head off. You know, I, I don't think we should be setting up guillotines anywhere. And that's, that's why I love Bitcoin. It's the peaceful revolution, right? Um, but why do people want to set up these guillotines? Because they know the system isn't working. Um, it's not working for them. And despite, you know, working very hard at, um, at many jobs and climbing the ladders, it's still, uh, you know, the, the prospects for retirement, uh, even even the ability to afford a home today is, is just, it, it, it's, it's outside of the reach of so many very hardworking Americans. The system is not serving them. Uh, this, the system stratifies wealth uh, through asset inflation and uh, in disproportionate access to, to assets. Hello and welcome to the Tucson Blockchain Podcast. My name is Alex and I'm excited for the upcoming episode. Uh, today I have on Colin and Ben from WTF Happen in 1971.com. They have an awesome website. I highly encourage you to go and check it out. Uh, they're going to talk about wealth inequality, what money is, where it comes from, all of these topics which are extremely important for us to understand here in Tucson, especially as inflation is killing us. So thanks for stopping by. All righty, Ben and Colin, welcome to the channel. Uh, really excited to have you guys on. Uh, so for anybody watching that doesn't know who you are, you need to go and check out the website WTFHappenedIn1971.com. And what it is, is just a bunch of data showing the impacts of removing the dollar off the gold standard. And it's a pretty incredible website. So what, uh, what got you guys to uh, go and create that website and start educating people on sound money? Yeah. Thanks for having us on, man. Um, man, we, We've just been trying to understand money for the last few years um, in, in the context of this new digital money that has emerged. And um, that path has left, led us to try to understand the current system um, of, of money that we use, um, including fiat dollars and, and money backed by gold and um, the paradigm shift that happened in 1971 when we went from gold, uh, gold-backed money. Um, I'll put quotations around that. Uh, to uh, fiat dollars, and that that ending of the Bretton Woods period um, was the beginning of the Nixon shock. And if you start going around and, and looking on the Wikipedia pages, you can find a, a few of the charts that we have up there. And I started collecting charts that that kind of all had more inflection points at this at this kind of same time. Which, if you if you understand that there was a as a paradigm shift, a monetary uh, phenomenon shift that happened there you would expect that there would be an inflection in, in the data and some some of the charts that we uh, found made a lot of sense and and we understood you know why there was a there, there was a correlation there and some of the charts that we have on there 
uh, might be less obvious, but we started collecting these. And at, at some point after arguing with a lot of people on the internet and continuously posting these same things, uh, I, I think it was Colin's idea to just uh, post them up on a website and, and ask people, you know, what WTF happened, mate, right? <laughs> so it was your idea, Colin. You're the, you're the brains or the idea guy behind this. Yeah, yeah. Well, thanks for having us on again, Alex. Um, I, I think, you know, like for us, I, I think Bitcoin was probably a really big catalyst on just like getting into it because I, I, I can't speak for Ben, but I was sort of into Austrian economics before I found Bitcoin. Um, but I don't think I really understood money and when when I, you know when you first find out about bitcoin and you kind of just dig into it sort of at the surface level and you're like trying to understand how anything could go from being worth you know a few pennies to worth thousands of dollars uh years later and you and you're trying to like understand okay like why but like why do people want this thing um and and really it was digging into our the history of money for us and then really really digging deep on a lot of austrian economics in particular trying to understand money and looking back through the history of money and, and like seeing wow like things really kind of went off the rails uh, in 1971 and seeing chart after chart after chart of economic data with a huge inflection point in in 1971 and w ben and i like we really buck the mainstream economic narrative um, which is that most of that was caused by peak oil and then Reagan deregulation in the 1980s. And really, there isn't a whole lot of mainstream consensus outside of the Austrian circle that points to um, the suspension of Bretton Woods as really all that economically significant. Like a lot of people sort of brush it off as a non-issue. Like, oh yeah, we left the gold standard, but we, we had to do that. I mean, that was for the best, right? That's sort of the dominant um, narrative. So for us, I think it was, it started out as like, well, wouldn't it be great if we just had one place we could point people to and say, but yeah, but like, look at this data. Like, you can't tell me there's not something compelling uh, about these, these macro trends. And it kind of evolved into a meme from there. Like the meme was really sticky right off the beginning. And Ben and I sort of decided like, we need to meme this as much as possible, right? Like we have to kind of get this into uh, the collective consciousness outside of people who just like nerds who read Rothbard all day. Yeah, I really appreciate the meme. I, I definitely point just about everybody I can uh, to it. Uh, so kind of what my uh, company is about is educating normal people on what money is. And my first real, I had a, I had a, basic understanding of of money and, and the Federal Reserve, but I didn't really get deeply into it until, you know, I came across Bitcoin too. Um, and it really got me questioning and 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 uh, seeing the importance of like a sound money fixed supply. And it was my first introduction to the Austrian school of economics too. And uh, I started with Saifedean's book, uh, The Bitcoin Standard. And so one of the things that really struck me, so I've worked in uh, behavioral health for seven years. Uh, so working with people with addiction and, and mental health issues. And one of the things that struck me in his book was he talked about um, money's influence over society and, and time preference. And I think your website does a, 
incredible job of, of showing that. So I've got a few different charts pulled up right now. I have a uh, uh, percentage of children born to unwed women um, since 1971. I've got the divorce prevalency um, since 1971, uh, trends in obesity and uh, the incarceration rates. And I think all of those charts in particularly really show that this is an important topic for the average person, um, that money really impacts their daily life. And uh, I like how you describe it, um, memeing it, because we need the memes to help people understand. Like this meme that I have in my background of j printing the money is an important one. Um, so yeah, I really appreciate it. I, I think your website does a good job of breaking it down for the average person. Um, so yeah, how, did, how does Bitcoin in particular help the average person in their daily life? Well, there's a lot in there what you just said. Um, trying to unpack some of that and answer your question. Um, first off, I think something that Colin and yourself even alluded to is that uh, Bitcoin has allowed me to understand money from a third party perspective to to get a a brand new um kind of line of questioning where you kind of question everything and you know you mentioned the bitcoin standard and i think there's a a, a lot of good history of money in there but in order to answer these questions um more thoroughly i would recommend um understanding uh the, the topics outlined in, in Nick Zabo's uh, uh, essay, Shelling Out, where he has a, a much more um, thorough examination of the history of money. And um, the charts that you mentioned are the charts in the latter category that I was talking about, the ones that are maybe less obvious to people why they might be correlated to a, a, a monetary paradigm shift. You know, like how, why does incarceration rates surge when we change money? It's like the, they have nothing to do with each other, right? Um, but, you know, you know, as you mentioned, Saifedean's um, elucidations about how money can affect our society. Well, uh, I believe that uh, inflation, um, it, it changes our, our economic calculations and it influences us, right? So it, inflation and deflation both would influence our decision-making and see deflationary, de deflationary environments encourage us to save money. And I think that's a good thing. Um, Keynesians don't think that's a good thing because they're stupid. Um, but inflationary money uh, encourages us not to save and it encourages us to take on debt because you can pay back the debt with inflated dollars. Um, so, I mean, without going through each one of those that you mentioned, um, I think that a, a, a hard supplied money a money that was would more accurately reflect um, the value of things by being unchanging in supply, right? There's this uh, concept of a ruler, uh, and the mon money is really just a ruler. Money isn't wealth itself, right? It's it's just pieces of paper, or it's just yellow rocks, or it's just little you know digital UTXOs. So it's not wealth, but it, what it is is an accounting system, a, a ledger for the wealth in the world. And um, the value that it accrues is through the network effects of other people using that same ledger to, uh, <laughs> to represent wealth, 
right, as, as a unit of account. And when that measure, that ruler you're using is constantly ch changing in size, then your economic calculation is constantly being disrupted by that change in supply. So it's not that I'm arguing for prices to go down. It's not that I'm arguing for you know, the supply of money to constantly decrease so that prices will go down. I just want it to be accurate. And I believe that, or, and I, I don't think this is a belief, I think it's, a, it's just an understanding of economic progress is that we compete to reduce prices. And technology is a huge driver. It is the main driver today in the prices should be falling because of our increased productivity and our increased economic progress. And yet the Federal Reserve has ensured that prices rise by a rule, right? Their, 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 their goal, their targeting of, they quote, stable prices, what they really mean is increasing prices. It doesn't matter how much quicker we are getting better at making things um, and, and get, you know, getting better at, at performing services that prices will always rise in aggregate because of these, these stupid stable price targets. We should have falling price targets. We shouldn't have price targets at all. We should just have a money system that accurately reflects that. So just to not briefly uh, answer your question, I think uh, embracing a monetary supply that's hard would more accurately allow people to make economic calculations. And as a society in aggregate, we would make more sound financial decisions like saving money for huge crises that might happen, not taking on uh, in immense amounts of debt. Uh, the list goes on. <laughs> and, and Alex, I think that there's two ways to answer that question that you asked. Um, when you, you asked why, why Bitcoin? Why does Bitcoin solve what we think is the problem? And right, and, and Ben, you know, just talked a lot about the money side of things. And I think like a really short, easy way to say that is, Bitcoin is just better money, right? That's why we believe Bitcoin um, will, will win in the game of uh, liquidity, at least in terms of it's, it's a black hole that's going to suck up all capital from everything else. But the, you know, the, the answer to the question why Bitcoin is a complex one. I mean, the history is complex. Um, right, right before we started this interview, I was in the process of writing a newsletter on uh, one of the financial panics in the mid 1800s. And I ended up having to turn to Rothbard's history of banking and money in the United States um, to get a more detailed background on that. And, and it, it's helping me flesh out my understanding of the answer to that question, why Bitcoin? And, and the answer is, and this is something Satoshi understood, is that it's self-clearing, right? Because if you look at all of the um, history of banking in the United States, at least, which is what I'm most familiar with, you'll see that all of the um, instances where banking became more centralized and we became prone to these um, inflationary experiments uh, that really most of the time were uh, in effect the ability for governments to prop up their ability to spend more, right, and expand their credit um, through the banking system. And then banks would enrich themselves uh, through the rehypothecation of that debt and expand the money supply, you know, for their own benefit. Um, it was this process of clearing, um, you know, redemption of specie, a redemption of paper for gold, this process uh, that led to the continual uh, centralization of banking, as I said, with a self-clearing asset like Bitcoin, 
right? You, you don't have those same problems. And one of the things that Ben and I say all the time is that 1971, the inflection point in the data and, and you know, the economic mess that we've had unfold over the following 50 years uh, is a, 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 an opportunity to point to, you know, WTF happened in 1971 and say, this is what happens um, when, when your money fails, right? Gold failed as money in 1971. We say that all the time and people hate that. Um, but, but the honest truth is if money is supposed to be our measuring stick of value in a society um, and, and that measuring stick can be co-opted and disrupted through processes of centralization necessary uh, to, for gold to be used as money in, in an increasingly um, nationalized and increasingly globalized economy, uh, then, then that is a failure of money. And so Bitcoin self-clearing, I think, uh, is, is probably the biggest reason. Uh, the elimination of trusted third parties is what it's really about. That's what Bitcoin does. That's why Bitcoin. Yeah, I love that part of it. I, uh, one of the things that I'm trying to do is uh, convince businesses to start accepting Bitcoin using uh, services like BTC Pay. And I just uh, uh, saw the one that you guys use, TallyCoin, and I'll have to look a little bit more into that. Um, but it was pretty cool the way that I scanned the QR code and it uh, pulled the amount out. Um, BTC pay doesn't do that. I don't think you have to actually manually plug in the amount, but uh, yeah, elimination of third parties because we're seeing um, payment processors really jack up rates uh, and it's really affecting people. And uh, yeah, one of the hard things I think for a lot of normal people to see is just to be able to connect uh, uh, so you, you mentioned that money uh, has failed, uh, or at least the dollar uh, fiat money has failed. I think a lot of people have trouble seeing and connecting that. So, you know, like one of the things I've seen recently is people setting up uh, a guillotine outside of Jeff Bezos's house. Um, whereas it might be more appropriate to set up a guillotine outside of uh, uh, the federal reserve. <laughs> um, what, what uh why do you think there's a disconnect for uh the average person where they there's anger directed at the employer instead of the monetary system as a whole yeah that's interesting um and just to clarify uh, what what colin was saying there was that gold failed in 1971 and and arguably fiat is failing today um and you know i'm reminded and i don't like to give this guy a ton of credit but he is actually very smart. Um, Peter Schiff spent some time during the Occupy Wall Street movement um, on the street, in the movement. Um, and see, all those people were mad at Wall Street uh, for, for wrecking the, uh, the economy, right? All of these greedy bankers, right? But greed didn't start in 2008. Um, what changed was what changed in 1971 and, you know, and then in 1990, the Basel Accords and all these other, you know, again, this, as Colin says, this, this monetary history is extremely complex and it, 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 every few decades it changes structurally in, in many different ways. But, um, you know, I, I don't think we should be setting up guillotines anywhere and that's, that's why I love Bitcoin. It's the peaceful revolution, right? Um, but why do people want to set up these guillotines? Because they know the system isn't working. Um, it's not working for them. And despite, you know, working very hard at, um, at many jobs and climbing the ladders, it's still 
uh, you know, the, the prospects for retirement, uh, even, even the ability to afford a home today is, is just, it, it, it's, it's outside of the reach of so many very hardworking Americans. The system is not serving them. Uh, this, the system stratifies wealth uh, through asset inflation and uh, in disproportionate access to, to assets um, because assets are now the new money of the wealthy, right? So uh, I, I heard something described really interestingly today, and I don't remember where it was. Maybe maybe Colin does, but it was that money is not a noun; it's an adjective. Uh, things have moneyness, and some things have more moneyness than others. And when your money is as terrible as fiat money, well, a lot of other things that are uh, hard in supply uh, get more moneyness. Um, like I, I talk about uh, assets and real estate um, have become uh, money because they become a store of value over long term because fiat's great for a medium of exchange and it's actually pretty good store of value in the short, short term. But in the long term, we know that it loses like 50% of its value over 20 years and that's by the CPI you know, metrics if you believe that. And I believe your um, recent episode was about how the CPI is, is most likely uh, not accurate. And, and I argue that you can't even measure prices in aggregate because everybody spends money on different things and uh, hedonic adjustments are impossible to do across a, you know, a, a, an economy of billions of people and, and millions and millions of different um, uh, intermoving parts and, and products. So uh, I don't know if that answers your question, but that's my response. <laughs> yeah, to touch on the specific question of why people are lining up outside Jeff Bezos's house with guillotines, uh, you know, I think it's worth remembering that there there aren't really any examples that I can think of, um, except for maybe maybe sociopolitical, and and even then they're almost always tied back to economics. There aren't really any exa any examples in history of populist uprisings during economically prosperous times, right? If everybody, if, you know, if if the water's flowing and everyone is benefiting, right? Everyone's cup is filled. Um, people are happy, right? They have better things to do than to line up outside of someone's house and threaten to chop their head off. Um, usually it's through, you know, expansion of, of centralized power structures and extortion of people's labor, the fruits of their labor um, to, to benefit, you know, whatever that central entity might be. And, you know, before the U.S. government, it was a whole lot of other things throughout history, you know, whether it be the church or whether it be a sovereign king or whether it be, um, you know, a collection of municipalities. It, it doesn't really matter who it is or, or what it is. Um, it's, it's usually the same story, right? People get to the point where they become desperate, right? Where wealth inequality becomes so great uh, that they feel they have no other option than to lash out as, at, at who they see, you know, at the face value um, is, is robbing them, defrauding them, right? I mean, uh, you know, go back and look at the French Revolution. I mean, they imprisoned, uh, I think it was King Louis the Sixteenth, when he was like five years old, either 16th or 17th, whoever was next in line um, during the French Revolution. Did he actually do anything to them? No. Uh, but, you know, in their minds, it was the monarchy uh, that, that was at fault for uh, all of their suffering and their extortion and uh, he, he represented the monarchy, right? This five-year-old kid, and he needed to be taken out. He needed to be thrown in a prison. Um, and he actually ended up dying because of that. And that's really unfortunate. But uh, it's sad because if, if we lived in an economically prosperous society, uh, Jeff Bezos would be lauded as, as, a, as a hero, as a mastermind, right? Because he makes everyone's life better. He provides this service that I guarantee you a lot of the people lined up outside his house probably use. 
they probably order stuff from Amazon or they work at Amazon. Um, and that might partially be why they hate him, right? Because they, they don't know why they're angry. All they know is that they keep giving him their money and stuff shows up at their door. Um, and, and yeah, right. There, there's a lot more to this. Um, he has a, he's been given the benefit of government monopoly, uh, government special interest in a lot of cases, and it's created a uh, monopoly. Monopolies are always created by government, but um, the public eye, the public ire, uh, turns towards him because you know he, he's one of the biggest entrepreneurs in the world and it's natural right when you look at the wealth inequality chart on our website and that's the answer to the question why are people lining up outside jeff bezos's house yeah and if i could just add something really quickly on the end of that um to build on what uh, colin is saying um there's a uh, a great guy mark mark moss if you don't follow him on twitter he's great he's got a great youtube channel as well he was on uh, our pod recently and he had or or it was possibly when I was on Swan Signal, but he 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 got this um this thing in my head that I can't get out now. It's that wealth uh is not zero sum. What's zero sum is status, and that's what we're seeing with Jeff Bezos, right? He's the richest person in the world by some large margin, and that is zero sum. You know, you can't um have everybody have the highest status because then we're all the same, and that's equality. But what is not zero sum as well. And if you actually look, um, yes, our lives are significantly better in, in many different metrics than they were 100 or 200 years ago. Um, and this is, not a, uh, <laughs> this is not a product of fiat money or, or government central banking. It is a product of technological deflation. It is the reducing of cost of all the toys that you have around your house, um, all of the tools that we use to, to get around and to uh, perform our jobs or to, to do anything. Uh, it is the the decreasing in cost of those things, and that is the rising tide that lifts all boats. That is deflation, and that's a fantastic thing. Yeah. So for the for the average person, could you guys explain a bit what deflation is, um, and why uh, the Fed is and politicians are terrified of it? So there's, there's two different kinds of deflation. The deflation that Ben is talking about in this instance um, is, is a decrease in prices, uh, a decrease in prices brought on by uh, technological improvements, right? Because if we think about, you know, if you were to start a business, Alex, um, the, the most important thing you'd be thinking about is how can I do what I need to do to make a profit as cheaply as possible, right? And the answer to that question is usually technology. Uh, a lot of times it can be solved, you know, in, in little logistic ways or in your personnel, uh, but most often the most profitable answer to improving your productivity, to being able to satisfy the consumer more profitably is deflation, right? Or sorry, is, tech, is technology. Technology is very deflationary on prices because it makes prices go down. Right, because as your cost to be competitive goes down, you're able to sell your goods and services for less, um, and that's what we call a deflationary effect on prices. Monetary deflation is a little bit different. That's um, essentially a decrease in the, uh, uh, in the money base, or at least in the credit base, um, in in our uh, circumstances. And inflation is the opposite. It's an increase in the monetary base, an increase in the amount of outstanding credit. Um, well, some would say that. And increase credit expansion is not inflationary, but I don't want to get into that. Um, likewise, with the prices of goods, inflationary effects on the prices of goods means that the prices is going up. So those are 
probably that distinction is something probably a lot of people don't make very often, but it is an important one. Uh, the difference between price deflation and, and uh, monetary deflation. Yeah, this is extremely uh, poorly understood in, in my opinion um, that it's, it's the in, inflation as we talk about it in, in colloquial uh, language is, is increasing prices. Um, but in economics, we only talk about inflation and deflation as a monetary phenomenon, meaning increase or decrease in the supply of money. Um, and as we all, anybody that understands anything about economics, um, and if you ask somebody on the street, like, what do you know about economics? They'll say, oh, isn't that like supply and demand? Well, yes, it is. It's probably the most important concept in economics. And when you increase the supply of one thing, um, well, you kind of, you, you, you uh, affect the other side of the uh, of that. So in money is the half of every transaction. So therefore, um, increasing the supply of money decreases or increases prices, right? And decreasing the monetary supply decreases prices. But that's generally not what we're discussing here. And uh, another thing I just kind of wanted to clarify is that um, essentially, there are inflationary and deflationary forces, right? And technology is this deflationary force that we're talking about. But you know, restricting the supply of an asset, like for example, um, you know, oil. Like if, if I controlled all the oil fields and I decided to stop selling oil or stop drilling for oil, that would have uh, an, an inflationary pressure on the market because it would be uh, constricting the supply of it, right? So it, it's important to think about that it's, it's not just as simple as, you know, technology decreases prices or that monetary inflation uh, increases price inflation, right? So I, I'm, I'm just trying to clarify, but now I feel like I'm, I'm not saying it very eloquently. No, I appreciate you guys uh, jumping in there and clarifying that uh, because... I, I don't think we answered your question, though. Your question was, <laughs> sorry. I think your question was, why uh, are they so scared of deflation? Uh, and, and the answer to that is, is really pretty simple. Uh, expansionary monetary policies, particularly deficit spending, um, which our governments engage in, oh, and the privileged few who are given access to extremely cheap credit by the Federal Reserve, um, requires continued monetary expansion, requires continued credit expansion. And deflation is essentially what happens in an economy that's going through a process of liquidation. It used to be that this was very natural, um, this, this natural business cycle, periods of uh, growth uh, and investment, and then deflation as some of that investment, which was malinvestment, is liquidated by the market. The market says, no, we don't need that much capital in this. Uh, and some of that, that debt or investment is liquidated and it's reallocated elsewhere. Um, really what, what the reason that, that governments and central bankers are so tech quote unquote afraid of deflation is because they don't want that liquidation of malinvestment. And they've convinced the populace to be just equally afraid of it as well because they've just point to 1929 as the worst economic uh, disaster in history. And I, and I agree, it was terrible. It was, it was just awful. But uh, I disagree on why it was awful. It was awful because of inflation, not because of deflation, right? So if you look at the, the, the 1920s, the roaring 20s, where everyone was partying and drinking, was because of inflation. It was monetary inflation. If you look at the monetary base, uh, it inflated beyond the trend in the 20s. 
and uh, everyone was living large, right? There, you know, there was all, all this uh, new money flowing around. And then all of a sudden the water recedes and we get to find out who's wearing swim trunks and, uh, and that hurt everybody. Uh, and when the money supply contracted um, back to reality, back to how much gold was actually there, um, that affected all the economic calculation that was happening in the 20s where, where money was just expanding, expanding. Now all of a sudden it wasn't there. And that's the liquidation of malinvestment that Colin's talking about. And in that liquidation, there was a lot of short-term pain. Um, and it was very, very tough for those few years. But out of it emerged, you know, 1944 and, and one of the greatest uh, periods in, in, in history, uh, in, in American history, the 1950s, where, you know, everyone had a white picket fence and everyone was, uh, you know, working at McDonald's and retiring, you know, whatever. So um, I, I think that that's really important to understand why people are so afraid of 1929 and the misunderstanding of, of of what happened in 1929 and if you can look in the wikipedia page for the great depression and there's a an austrian explanation which uh, i tend to yeah you you guys have a friedrich hayek quote on your website uh the i don't believe we shall ever have a good money again before we take the thing out of the hands of government that is, we can't take it violently out of the hands of government. All we can do is by some sly roundabout way, introduce something that they can't stop. Um, I think that's a pretty incredible quote. And Ben, you, you talked about the idea of how we shouldn't be putting guillotines outside of anybody's house and, and how Bitcoin is the peaceful uh, revolution and transition uh, out of this bad monetary policy. Uh, Yeah. Um, yeah. Basically, it, it, it's arguable that you could say Hayek maybe realized that gold failed, right? And that we couldn't we couldn't take that viably, or we couldn't take it violently out of the hands of government. Uh, and maybe he didn't, but he realized that um, tr trying to convince them, um, or, or or really really trying to rip it out of them uh, their hands wouldn't work, right? And I, I think that's really fascinating. It's, it's also really fascinating to read all these Austrians, this hundred years of um, logical deduction on money, uh, and then read it now in the paradigm of a digital money, which they couldn't foresee, right? And, and, and I say that they couldn't foresee it because George Guido Holzman was writing about um, digital money and probably unlikely we'll ever create a digital money. And then in 2009, Satoshi Nakamoto came and said, what's up? <laughs> Here it is, people. So yeah, that's the it's obviously the sly roundabout way. And, and what's sly and roundabout it is, is that uh, everybody is incentivized to hold Bitcoin because, the, uh, because it's a better money, as Colin mentioned, it's just a better money. Um, and the monetization of Bitcoin uh, is like a Ponzi scheme because every money is a Ponzi scheme. And the earlier you get in on it, the more you stand to benefit from it, but the more risk you, uh, uh, you, you take on, right? You know, we talk about these Bitcoin millionaires who, you know, bought $1 worth of Bitcoin in, in 2010, and now they're a billionaire, whatever it is. Uh, well, those people in, took on more risk um, because the, maybe not if it was just a dollar, but holding it for all that time, um, help bootstrap the network, right? And if you did have a significant amount of money, any significant amount of money, there was much more risk in the early days because the protocol, uh, nobody knew if it would work out at all. So putting any money into it at all was kind of a gamble, right? 
And, and that, that bootstrapping of the currency, I think, is a really important idea to understand uh, because this is arguably, as, as Vijay Boyapati um, very eloquently describes, is the monetization event of this new revolution. Yeah, quick comment on that FAA quote. Um, that's sort of like our, our breadcrumb trail, if you will, or the start of our breadcrumb trail um, to Bitcoin. Because um, if you notice on the website, apart from the ad banner uh, with, with River, because uh, we, we love River and we like working with River, so we gave them a little bit of a shout out at the top. It's also a way for us to help kind of cover costs on uh, trying to expand our, our project. Because, uh, you know, in, in, at the moment, you know, we don't make any money. We're, we're paying out of pocket to like keep these websites up and do the newsletter and everything. Um, that's really the only time that, that Bitcoin is, is mentioned is in that ad banner. At, and, and even if you, if you subscribe to our newsletter, we don't ever really talk about Bitcoin, uh, but we will drop occasional more breadcrumbs, right? Because Ben and I have kind of come to the conclusion that we'd much rather um, ev evoke in people a process of Socratic self-discovery, right? We want to show them the, the evidence that we have that something is wrong, right? And that's what the website really does. And then people who want to dig a little deeper, maybe make it all the way to the bottom and read that hey quote and Maybe that gets their brain working a little more like, wow, what does that even mean? A good money. What is a good money? Uh, what is a bad money? Right. And what do we have now? And because um, there, there's plenty of people who think that our money is still backed by gold today. I, I guarantee if you walked around on the street and asked people, you know, what, what backs the U.S. dollar? A lot of people would tell you gold. Um, they wouldn't be able to explain how or why or any more than that. But they just are kind of under that assumption. Right. Um, so what we've tried to do through this brand is, is create a, a breadcrumb trail um, that leads you to more and more Bitcoin focused content. Because personally, we believe that that's the answer, right? But you, you can't ever convince anyone of anything if, if you shove the answer in their face right away, right? They have to go through the process. It's like when you learn math as a kid, um, if you just put the answer on the test, you know, they, they don't want to know what the answer is. They want to know how you arrived at that answer. Um, and maybe that's not always the best case when you're teaching kids. Maybe if they figure out a different method for finding the answer, that's even better. But uh, in our particular case, we don't want to make the same mistake that a lot of people in Bitcoin seem to do, which is to just um, throw the word Bitcoin and the brand Bitcoin at everything and everyone all the time, because none of it sticks, right? We want people to go through the process of um, self-discovery, of, of seeing, hey, something really is wrong. What did happen in 1971. And that quote um, sort of speaks to um, that, that mentality that we have in, in trying to help people discover these things for themselves. Yeah, I really appreciate that. And uh, so anybody watching this video, make sure if you can to go to these guys' website and donate to them because they're doing this uh, out of their own pocket and it's really, really important work. Uh, but uh, uh, yeah, it's uh, it's the interesting thing about Bitcoin because when I when I try to explain it to somebody, um, it, one of my favorite things to do is just give people Bitcoin. Uh, so I um, budget a certain amount every month that I try and give people, and I'll help them download a wallet and and show them because typically they'll ask me, you know, I don't and and, and say something like I don't get Bitcoin. What is it? Um, and they're not typically asking for, uh, you know, a really complicated technical answer, which I've made the mistake of explaining uh, plenty of times. Uh, because, you know, they have, most people 
uh, like you said, Colin, have no idea what money is, period. Uh, uh, you know, they're sending money back and forth on Cash App or Venmo or, you know, PayPal, swiping their debit cards. Um, they, when they ask what is Bitcoin, I think uh, they're more so asking what is the functionality of it? Um, you know, how can I use it? What would it, what would I benefit uh, from it? And uh, that's where, you know, the idea of like, you know, Bitcoin as a fixed uh, money, uh, you know, it's provably scarce. It comes in and is important uh, versus, uh, you know, all the, all the technicals, because, you know, if, if somebody reads the white paper, it, 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 it's kind of overwhelming, you know, this idea of like, uh, uh, you know, people don't really understand what a third party is. Uh, they don't understand uh, right off the bat censorship resistant. They don't understand all these terms that are, you know, kind of buzzwords for people that have been in the space for a while. Um, it's pretty interesting, but yeah, I, I definitely appreciate that about your website uh, because it, like you said, does not provide like a prescriptive solution, but instead of, uh, uh, provides a question um, and is thought provoking um, and opens up uh, things for discussion, which is something that is really, really important today is, is to have the nuance um, and debate. Uh, but yeah, I know we're kind of coming up on the, on the time. So I just got a couple more questions. So um, things are pretty crazy right now. Uh, you know, I, I work in mental health. Um, and so I think these topics are kind of important and I just like to ask people, uh, when they come on the show, um, suicide rates are up pretty tremendously, uh, during a time like this, what gives you guys hope, um, purpose and meaning moving forward? I mean, I think the, the message of sound money, uh, is, probably the only hope that I have for society, like as a whole, right? Um, I mean, in the short term, uh, I have hope that maybe we start to be a little more realistic about um, the impact that uh, this this virus has had in our economy, uh, or, or virus has had on us, so that we can stop maybe destroying our economy in the process of trying to, um, you know, reduce every single death that we possibly can. Um, because I think if you really look at the numbers, I mean, the percentages of the population that are even getting the virus, let alone um, uh, uh, succumbing to it, um, in, in the grand scheme of things, I don't think is worth all of the, uh, the, the damage that's arguably being done through the money printing and, and, and destroying, you know, small businesses. And, and I think that the mental health argument that maybe you're alluding to there um, is is probably even even more important than either of those um, for an individual because uh, it turns out that uh, you know locking somebody in their home and having them be fearful of even stepping out or or coming into contact with anybody at all um, it, it can be quite quite damaging to one's psyche and uh, uh, you know I, Marty Bent had this great thing about how. Um, how that uh, this idea of social distancing is actually double speak. I mean, we don't need the social distance, we need to physically distance, right? So, I mean, all these kind of different 
things come together to, uh, to I think, uh, cause harm to society um, when, you know, a decentralized approach where people protect themselves from whatever threat this virus um, might impose to them, that I think that would be a better response than these centralized top-down um, responses because we saw, I think, in many different governments across the board, it started off being, oh, it's not a big deal, and, and now it's way too big of a deal, and, and I think we, we kind of need to find a, a happy medium there, so um, I hopefully, I have hope that there's uh, some kind of more more return to sanity on that. Yeah, and I would say on that too, the the Austrian perspective is remarkably optimistic. Um, a lot of people sort of poo-poo you know, like the Ayn Rands of the world and, and say like, oh, they're, they're so selfish. You know, they, all they, it's, all, it's all about them. They only care about, you know, what, what they get out of it. Um, you know, and, and I'm always reminded of the Adam Smith quote from The Wealth of Nations, where he says that it's not from the benevolence of the butcher or the baker that we expect our dinner, but from their regard to their own self-interest. And I, I love that philosophy because it's very optimistic, right? I mean, we've gone as, as humanity, we've gone from, um, you know, living in animal skins and foraging for food and, and being in hunters and gatherers uh, and through the voluntary uh, mutual build up, uh, you know, incredible societies and do incredible things in that mutual self-interest. Um, humanity is able to do incredible things when uh, power structures that, that seek to um, control people or extort the fruits of people's, you know, labors, whether that be, you know, working your job at McDonald's or creating a billion dollar business, um, society flourishes, right? So really the, the Austrian perspective is, is a very optimistic one. Um, and, and I believe that we might be on the cusp of a new paradigm and the transition might be somewhat difficult, somewhat painful um, as, you know, the, these governments get too big for their britches as, as these global organizations, right? That, that are making uh, decisions that affect everyone um, without being able to calculate the unseen. Um, I, I think it's, it's at least reassuring, uh, that, that we've come this far, right. And that humans are going to continue to act in the ways that they've always had. Um, and hopefully, right. A, a, we can transition to a, this new paradigm, um, and, and be better off for it in the long run. Yeah, I think that's really, really good guys. Um, the Austrian school of thought being optimistic. I like that, uh, it's uh, it's good to know that there have been great upheavals throughout human history, uh, and humanity has survived, uh, and that we can be in a position to really make a difference and set the groundwork for something special and cool in the future, and that Bitcoin really is the foundation of that, um, that sound money is, and that there really is a way... And, um, to go about doing that because I think there's just too many people that just feel unempowered right now. They feel like everything's just been taken from them as it, it you know, through the political process, um, economically, uh, uh, just in, in, in so many ways, uh, people are, are losing and it 
is nice to have one area that that you can really win in um so my mom I, I was just thinking from my mom's perspective colin why why do you go by heavily armed clown um because i'm a, a juggalo no i'm just kidding because there's a, <laughs> a video game uh from like the, the 80s or 90s called uh the secret of monkey island and at one point in that video game the character is off screen and he's doing a bunch of insane tasks that are being narrated and one of the things that he does is give a handful of stylish confetti to a heavily armed clown <laughs> that's that's where my name came from that's awesome i i almost feel like i need to rebrand and come up with something i won't be able to come up with something as cool as that but i i liked it um it's remarkably where, obscure yeah yeah no kidding um where where can people find you i, I talked about the website um but where else can people find you so we have the newsletter uh, which you can find at the top of the website and there's an archive if you go down to the bottom of the website or you can just go to wtf 1971 and that's where we archive all of the newsletter um it's not daily we we try to do it as much as we can but uh it's a lot of work um and then we're also on twitter i'm at heavily armed c uh the letter c ben is i'll let ben say ben's part yeah i'm i'm m-r-c-o-o-l-b-p at mr cool bp and uh, we also have the twitter for the um for WTF, which is WTF underscore 1971, I believe. And uh, you can reach out to us on any of those. And we're, we're always happy to have a conversation with anybody who's uh, uh, intellectually, honestly interested in, in these topics. We also have the uh, the podcast, which is uh, the Bitcoin echo chamber.com. And just, bi just Bitcoin echo chamber.com. No, the <laughs> Bitcoin echo chamber. Sorry. Right. Awesome. Well, I really appreciate you guys coming on and uh, it's a very interesting conversation. Very, very important. I think people need to hear this.